there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. This morning's uh, Bible reading is a continuation from last week where the Apostle Peter had taken the gospel for the first time to non-Jewish people who were receiving the word of God. So this reading is out of Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 13, out of the New International Version. The apostles and the Jewish believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him and they said to him, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke to, to me from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then... Three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped by the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say to him, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. The second reading is out of the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 11 and 13. What had happened in the meantime is that Peter had recanted a little bit and gone back to his Jewishness. And the apostle Paul had confronted Peter with this. And this is what Paul has said in Galatians. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when these Jewish believers arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him 
in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Thank you. Well, hello and welcome to you. And if you don't know me, I'm Brian Harris, service pastor at large here. It's been an amazing service so far, hasn't it? Uh, really just great to be here. And uh, listen, we're in this series at the moment that's looking at Instagram moments, Instagram moments from Peter's life, Peter the disciple of Jesus' life. And if you are here last week, you'll know that we looked at that extraordinary experience that he had where he realized something that, I mean, Hey, listen, in the 21st century, we'd say, duh, I mean, seriously, this wasn't actually a big thing. But back in his time, it was actually an enormous thing, a realization that God loves everyone, that God doesn't just love Jewish people, but that the message of Jesus was not just for Jews, and the early Christians were initially all Jewish, but that God's love extends to everyone. And if that's how we started, uh, this week we look at the in, in part two of that, that Instagram moment, where Peter has to spread this and let let other people know that this is the case. And so Instagram moment one is the event itself. Instagram two moment is showing other people that this is valid. Now, now I don't know if you've ever had an experience in your life where something just impacts you so much that, that you know, I'm never going to forget this. My mother-in-law lived to be 100. And I guess from her life, she had many Instagram moments, so she never did know the word Instagram. Um, but uh, there were some stories that she told over and over again. Her and her husband were in ministry together. It was the Second World War. I had two young boys. My wife, Rosemary, hadn't been born then. Let me assure you, she hadn't been born during the war. A long time after that that she was born. But uh, she was very much the afterthought in her family. But uh, they were just wanting to say that she's young and beautiful and all those kinds of nice things, which she is. Um, anyway, she had two, two much older brothers. It, it's the war. Uh, then Frey hate and tiny church, tiny church. Uh, so poor that the church was that they couldn't provide any house for them. They literally had to stay in the church uh, itself, and that's where uh, they were. And the day comes where they have no money, and they also have no food. And Rosemary's mom is just feeling desperate, desperate. And it comes to dinner time, and she says to her husband, Grady, so what must I do? And he says, just lay the table, and we'll see. And so they lay the table, and they say grace, and there is no meal prepared, and there is no food, and she's wondering what's gonna happen. And she is very conscious that she has two very young children that she does, really does need to feed. And in that transforming moment, a knock on the door, and they go to the door, and there's a man they have never ever seen before, a man they never ever saw again. And he has this huge basket of groceries. And he says to them, God just told me I had to give them to you. I don't know why, but they are for you. And as she tells that story, and she told it just over and over and over again, you realize that for her, that was the day where up until that point, she had known that God can be trusted. But after that day, she knew, like she knew deep in her heart, that God really can be trusted. And she lived the rest of her life from that truth that God can be trusted and that you need never actually fear God is dependable and even at the most desperate moments, God comes through. 
there, there are some moments like that, aren't they, where, where you just know I need to learn something and I need to learn it deeply. And yet for all that, sometimes we can have experiences like that and we don't learn the lesson and we forget about it and it somehow fades. And you can ask yourself why and how can that, that, that happen? I mean, you see it in the Bible a number of times. I don't know if you remember the story of Abraham, married to the very beautiful Sarah, about to enter into the land of Egypt and worried that his wife is so extraordinarily beautiful that, that the Pharaoh is going to want to sleep with his wife and that he'll justify that by getting Abraham killed and saying she's now a widow. And so Abraham does what? He says that actually Sarah is my sister, not my wife. And if you recall the account in Genesis chapter, chapter 12, uh, Sarah gets taken into Pharaoh's harem, but God intervenes and rescues her before anything happens. And you think, wow, Abraham would have learned from that, except that as you go on to Genesis chapter 20, uh, now he's in the land of, of, of Gerar, and Abimelech, uh, the king there, uh, and he goes through exactly the same experience, passes off his wife, not his wife, but sister all over again. And you say, didn't you learn the first time that God could be trusted, that you don't need to tell porkies like this, that, that, that you can actually depend upon God? And the answer is, no, he hadn't. And, and actually, even more remarkably, if you're going through, 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 through Genesis, so that's Genesis chapter 12, then you get Genesis chapter 20, you know, it's the same error being made. In Genesis chapter 26, uh, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. Isaac does exactly the same thing with his wife, Rebecca. says, she's my sister, so that uh, he will be safe. And God, again, intervenes miraculously. And you have to say, these people are the slowest learners in the world. I mean, why didn't they just learn the lesson the first time? But, but the truth is, they didn't. Now, now, when you come to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, you might ask yourself this question, why is the story told twice? Why is the story told twice? And, and let's remember that, that in the Bible, we have chapters there for convenience. They're actually not in the original, and the Bible was not originally written with any chapter divisions nor any verse divisions. So the story just flows as one, and we've introduced the chapters to, to, to give logical divides. So if you're reading it, you would just have read as one, and if you were here last week and looked at Acts chapter 10, you'd know that it goes into great detail of, of what happens and how, how, how Cornelius gets this vision from God that someone's going to come and point him to, to, to the true God, and uh, Peter gets this vision that he can, he can eat animals that he would previously have thought were unclean, and they go off to the house, and, and all, all that happens. And then, then as uh, Tony was reading, you would, would recognize that basically that story is told all over again. And you may say, why are you telling us twice? I mean, this is getting a tad dull. And as I say, remember, there wouldn't have been a break, a chapter break in it. You just get told the same thing twice. And the answer is very simple, because it's extraordinarily important. And the writer of Acts is wanting to say, I'm telling you this, and I'll tell it to you again. And you know it, I'll tell it to you a third time, a fourth time, and a 44th time until you actually get it. God's love is for everyone. God's love is for everyone. God's love is for everyone. And so he tells it again. And this time he's telling it in, in, in the frame of, of Peter having to convince other Jewish leaders uh, who have been converted to Christianity that God loved not just Jews but Gentiles as well. Now, you may say, okay, so this has really been emphasized. That's interesting. But if you know something about the Bible, you would say, but I have a dilemma at this point. Because while I'm conscious of, of Acts chapter 11, I'm also conscious of Galatians chapter 2. And what's the difference between uh, Acts chapter 11 and Galatians chapter 2? 
Well, Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 10 and 11 take place in the year 44 AD. Galatians chapter 2 recounts an event in 50 AD. So six years separate these events. And in event number one, Peter has been shown by God very dramatically that God makes no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. In Galatians chapter 2, uh, Peter's having to be reprimanded because he is carrying on making distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. It's quite sobering to actually read. So, so, so let's listen to it again. Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 13. When Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He stood condemned because he jolly well knew better. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. So, so there we go. In 44, Peter gets this dramatic revelation from God, knows it's from God, but by AD 50, he's kind of living a different kind of story, and he's not living that out anymore. So how can it be that we sometimes don't stay the course with what God is showing us? How can it be that we sometimes don't stay the course with what God has shown us? And I guess that there are a number of answers that can be given. And I guess, first of all, I'd like to move this from the theoretical to, 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 to asking you to think about your own life. So has there ever been a time in your life when God has shown you something, shown it to you maybe quite deeply, and yet today, six years later, 10 years later, 30 years later, you're not living like that anymore. You've kind of conveniently forgotten because this is that kind of a chapter. It's that chapter saying, you know, but somehow something has shifted and you're not living like this anymore. If so, just, just think this one through. So why did Peter shift? Well, I guess in the first instance, you'd have to say, let's not underestimate how big a thing this particular revelation was to him, that God loved everyone the same. That God didn't just care for Jews, cared for Gentiles as well. It was a huge insight. Let, let, let's remember, if you were a Jewish man at the time that, 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 that's been written about here in the, in the first century AD, part of your usual prayer ritual would be that most days, in fact, for many people, every day, you would have, you would have prayed a prayer that said three things if you were male. I thank you, God, that I was not born an ignorant man because the Jews enormously valued their learning. I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile. I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. And you can make of that whatever you like. But there you go. I mean, they, they, they prayed it over and over and over again. It was like just very deeply in their psyche. You, you know, thank you, God. I could have been a Gentile, but I'm not a Gentile. I'm so grateful that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, God. And, and now this revelation comes and they've been told, Actually, you're wrong. God doesn't actually have any great distinction between Gentiles. In fact, in Galatians, Paul makes this, this radical statement as well, and God doesn't actually have any great distinctions between men and women either, because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, it was just mind-blowing if you're Jewish. All these, all these things that you'd always just really believed were true, you're suddenly being told they're not true, and you were wrong. And I guess we need to recognize that sometimes habits die hard. Habits die hard. 
And, and so I think maybe the first thing to say, if we're going to live in the light of revelation that God has shown us, when God shows you something new, don't underestimate how big it is to live in the light of it, especially if you've been living in the opposite direction all your life. For example, if God says to you, as God said to my mother-in-law, you know, you really can trust me. I mean, most of us grow up thinking that we've got to trust ourselves. And to genuinely trust God can be a difficult thing. It's easy to say that we should know that, but to live that, oh my, that can be a hard lesson. And, and, and if we have grown up always feeling that there are a group of people who are okay, and then there are a group of people who really are not okay, if that's deeply been taught to us, it's not that easy to suddenly change. And that's what God was saying. You, you, you have to change you. You have to, let me, you have to let me change you. And change like that is not easy. Second thing I think that, that we need to say is that it's actually quite convenient to live a world where we believe that there are a group of other people and that other people are not quite like us and that other people are to blame. I mean, if you were Jewish, it was so nice to be able to blame the Gentiles for everything. You know, if it only wasn't for the Romans, if only they hadn't conquered us, if only they hadn't, you know, it's all their fault. And, and, and you get that right back to the opening chapters of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 tells us about the fall of humanity. And remember when God comes and he realizes that, that the humans, the first humans, have eaten from that forbidden fruit. And he goes to Adam and he says, Adam, what have you done? And what does Adam say? The woman that you made, she made me eat of it. It's not my responsibility. It's her fault and it's your fault for having made her. And God goes to Eve and says to Eve, so what have you done? And what does Eve say? The serpent made me do it. Uh, it's so nice to have an other out there, someone else to blame. And to actually give up on that, to give up on saying they're Gentiles out there and they pull us back or they're evil people out there and they pull us back and they stop us from being the people that we should be, can actually be quite hard when we actually have to look in our own lives and say, actually, I am responsible. And the reason that I often don't live the right way is not someone else's fault. It's mine. And I have to assume responsibility for myself. And, and I guess in the end, for Peter, it was just too hard, too hard to actually say, live without a group of other people who are to blame. Look to yourself and look to your own relationship with God. And there was more to it as well. I think if you dig it a little bit deeper, uh, hey, staying close to God can be a tough thing, and it can be, let me get this done, it can be quite hard to keep your spiritual life really alive, and we can't live forever off yesterday's experiences of God. You see, this experience happens in 44 AD, but Galatians chapter 2 is in 50 AD. Six years have gone by, and I guess that when Peter gets his first vision it's very clear that God is doing something. I mean, so out of the ordinary. I mean, if you remember the account from Acts chapter 10, Peter goes up to the roof, it's the hour of prayer, he's praying, and as he's praying, he gets this vision from God, and, and, and the vision is backed up because there are people at the door knocking at the door saying, now, now you must come, and you must come to, to, to Caesarea, uh, to, to, to Cornelius' house, and a group of other people say, yes, we believe that, and, and, and in fact, we're told, uh, Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 11, Verse 12, sees Peter recounting, uh, and let me just read it out. Acts chapter 11, 12, right then three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. 
the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. In other words, this, this, this was a deeply spiritual moment. Knew that God was doing something, was close to God. And therefore, because I was close to God, could rise above my fear, could rise above, above my prejudices, could rise above my instincts and my habits. But this is now six years later. And six years later, kind of, can you always stay that close to God? Can you always really be open to what God is saying? And, and, and I guess this passage is just in its own way reminding us that as yesterday's close encounter with God is not necessarily going to be okay for today. And that staying close to God is an everyday thing. And, and when we tell our stories about God, just do a little check every now and then. So this is my God story, and I tell it and just put the year to it. And if you don't have some God stories from 2019, could I suggest that you just pray a little bit more and that you draw a little closer to God? And you say, God, what are my God stories for this year? I mean, I'm really grateful, God, for, for, for that really memorable thing that happened back in 2010. And God, I'm really grateful for that, that, that extraordinary thing that happened in 2015. Because 2019 now helped me to stay close to you right now. So why do we wander away from the things and not stay the course that God gives to us? Well, sometimes it's very hard to change. It's hard to live without someone else to blame. Hard to stay really close to God. In this instance, though, it was also just really hard because there was very real group pressure. And there, there was very real group pressure. And, and, and so we're told that, 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 that Peter's getting along okay, and actually he is living in a good relationship with the Gentiles, open to them, eating with them. They're coming to faith. It's great. Everything's going well. And then, and then a group of Jewish converts who believed that actually you could convert to Jesus, but you still needed to follow all the Jewish laws. You still needed to be circumcised. You still needed to keep the food laws. You still needed to keep all the, the, the religious holidays. You still needed to essentially do everything that you'd done before, but somehow just throw Jesus into the mix of them. A group of people who frankly did not yet know the grace of God. A group of these people come along and they start criticizing Peter. Now, 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 now let's be clear. Peter should have remembered that he was the one who was appointed to lead the church. So he shouldn't have been bothered. He should have been the one saying, I beg your pardon. Jesus did not actually appoint you as the person who was the first leader for the church. He appointed me. You learn from me. I don't, don't learn from you. But Peter is very human. And, and, and I guess that what they did was that they didn't go to Peter face on face. They just criticized him a little bit behind the scenes. And he just felt that pressure starting to grow. Peter, I mean, look at him. Look at how he started to compromise. He was once a Jew you could be proud of. He was once a Jew who followed Jesus and who kept our tradition so well. It is so disappointing to see that happening. And he's supposed to be our leader. And, and, and as that just goes on day after day after day after day, Peter crumbles and he crumbles and he gives in. And, and, and these Gentile believers who he was with, he just finds it a bit more convenient to step back. And then he steps back a little bit more, and then he steps back a little bit more, and then he steps back a little bit more, and in the end, they just know they've been deserted. And they've been treated as second-class Christians. And they've been treated as people who follow Jesus, but like, oh my goodness, they just somehow squeak through the door. 
and something terrible is happening in the life of the early church. And it takes Paul to come along, come along to Antioch and to see what's going on. And I don't know what you think about fights in the early church, but there were a fair few fights in the early church. This was one of them. And Paul comes and he observes and he observes and he observes. And he stands up one day and he says, Peter, you are an absolute disgrace. You know that before these, the, the, the circumcision party came, that you accepted Gentiles fully. You know your history. You know that God spoke to you. You know that you had that experience and you have backed away from it. How can you do that? You, Peter, a major disappointment. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's tough words. Paul is very clear about this. This was a fight because it needed to be a fight. And, and it's a reminder that in our own journey with Jesus, we, we need to make sure that we're influenced by the right people, that we aren't being pressurized to live somehow a sub-Christian life by other people who see things in a different way. You'd, those of you who know me would know me well enough to know that I don't, don't usually go on at great length about being a Baptist, but lest you did not know, this is actually a Baptist church. It's a Baptist community. And you may say, so what's that all about? Well, there are actually a few things about being Baptist that I think are worth considering. So Baptists, if you know a little bit about history, were the pioneers of religious freedom. Freedom not just for Christians, but freedom for, for Jews, freedom for, for Muslims, freedom for everyone. And they did that because they were persecuted for their faith. And so if you want to know in the history of religious freedom, which is a topic at the moment, who pioneered for religious freedom, actually Baptists did. Second thing that Baptists pioneered was what, what has come to be known as liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience, freedom of conscience. And basically what early Baptists said back in the 1600s was, you know, to follow Jesus, we all ultimately answer to God, not as a group, but on our own. And God sometimes gives revelation to a particular person that, that in the end might be accepted by many other people, but at the start it might just come to one. And, and you have to be convinced in your own mind that what you do is right, because ultimately you have to answer for God. No one else can answer to you. And, and therefore, at the end of the day, you must examine your conscience. Uh, you examine it, you examine, you examine the Bible, you speak to other believers, you listen to what the church has taught in history, but in the end, you know that you answer for yourself. And, and so if you're letting the group just pressurize you, oh no, in Jesus you have a greater freedom than that. And it is sad that in this instance here, Peter, who knew, is allowing himself to be squeezed back into another mold because, well, because sometimes we value the opinion of other people more than we value the opinion of God. And this passage just very quietly says to us, make sure that you value the opinion of God more than the opinion of your friends, more than the opinion of other people. What God thinks is what really, really matters. Hey, as, as we go through this passage, let me just grab, a, grab some water here. As we go through this passage, you, you, you might find it in some ways just a little bit quaint. Because if you look at Acts chapter 11, 
I said this is Peter's second Instagram moment. So his first Instagram moment is, is getting this, this revelation that God really cares for everyone. The second one is that he has to go and report this back and, and persuade other people that this is valid. So he has to persuade Jewish believers that this is the case. But I want you to imagine yourself being part of the church community back in those days. And, and listen to this in Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Now, now I don't know how you respond to that, but it kind of doesn't sound all that nice, does it? It kind of sounds like it's a pretty gossipy community. I mean, you know what, Peter, you've just come back. You went to Caesarea and someone told us that they saw you when you were there, that you entered the home of a Roman centurion. You know you're not allowed to do that. And, 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 and you know what tells us what? That, that, that this news had spread everywhere. So they're all talking about Peter. I mean, it's a, it's a real gossip circle, isn't it? I mean, everyone's skinnering about, you know, what, what Peter's done. You know, have you heard what Peter did? I can't believe that he did that. I mean, my goodness gracious me, and he's supposed to be our leader. Oh, what are things coming to? We're all going to the dogs, thank you very much. And, and, and so the, 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 there's just this undercurrent of, of criticism and talk, and Peter, give account to yourself. Now, now let me ask you this question. Would you have liked to have been part of a community like that? Would you have liked to have been part of a community like that, where, where your every action gets kind of looked at by everyone else, and everyone else starts to talk about it and say, you know what that person did? You know what that person did? You know, are they doing the right thing? Now, now, we might say, oh my goodness, what a bunch of busybodies. I mean, wouldn't someone, shouldn't someone just tell them, butt out, it's none of your business? I mean, shouldn't Peter have just said, you know, what are you talking about? Thank you very much. I answer for myself. I have liberty of conscience. Thank you. And I have done exactly what I felt that God should tell me to do. And, you know, talk about something else. Watch a different TV program. Thank you very much. I mean, shouldn't he have just said that? Well, maybe because we 21st century people, we think like that. You would not actually have thought like that if you were in Peter's time. You would have thought, no, actually, what they're doing is right. Because we, we are a community together. And therefore, we do actually examine each other's lives together. Because though I ultimately report to God on my own, I do not journey through life alone. I'm part of a community to whom I am accountable. And I wonder if in the 21st century, we haven't perhaps gone a little too far on not being accountable to one another, so that we are scandalized if anyone actually asks us anything at all. Let, 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 let me tell you a story. It's, it's 1980. Rosemary and I got, got engaged. So we, we got married that on the 29th of November, 1980. Uh, so 39 years coming up. And we got engaged in the early part of 1980. I had an engagement party somewhere, somewhere through that, 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 that year. So we sit down, Rosemary and I, we're talking through what kind of a party do you want to have, who do you want to invite, just as one would. And remember, it's 1980, and remember we were Baptists, and back in 1980, Baptists were Big B Baptists. In other words, they were extraordinarily conservative. Now, some of you may not know this, but believe you me, back in 1980 and back in South Africa, Baptists were were enormously big B Baptists and enormously conservative. So most of our friends are also big B Baptists, so that's not a problem, but some of them are not, and some of them are not Christians at all. And we have to make this decision. So at our engagement party, what will we serve? Food, okay, that's non-problematic. What will we drink? 
Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Do we just serve Coke and Coke and Fanta and Coke? Or do we serve alcohol? Big B Baptists give a very clear answer. Absolutely not to alcohol. Absolutely not. Out of the question. Unforgivable sin. But the trouble is, if you're wanting to kind of connect with your friends who aren't Christians, like if you just go to a do and all you do is produce Coke and Fanta, they think that you're broke and they think that you're mean and they think that it's the worst party under the sun. So we agonize over this. We agonize. This is a great moral dilemma. Oh, for the easy moral questions back in the 1980s. We agonize. Should we serve wine? Should we serve beer? We, 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 we decide, right, there's going to be wine, there's going to be beer. Big step forward. So we, we, we have our engagement party, and indeed there is wine and there is beer. Fine. So um, there's a man in the church that, that I attended. I respect it greatly. He, he, he was about the same age as my father, was a bit of a mentor to me. Wonderful, wonderful person. A uh, couple of weeks after the engagement party, he says, Brian, I'd like to talk to you. I knew it was going to be bad news. So he comes and he says, you know, thank you for your engagement party. You served alcohol. Yes. Why? Uh, well, because we have a number of non-Christian friends and we were trying to reach them. Yes, but do you know that alcohol is, I mean, so many people become alcoholics. And there could have been people who were there who uh, kind of, I mean, they look to you as, as for, for your leadership that, 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 that you give. And, you know, it takes only one drink for people to be on this journey to become an alcoholic. And that could have happened to them. And... and goes on and on and on and on and I'm being interrogated and I'm being made to feel like you are a worm and less than a worm and uh, and I'm trying to defend myself you know I have a strong evangelistic heart and I was hoping that this might help reach people to Jesus and he was like no you've given the worst witness that you can possibly give and um, oh my goodness the, the 80s um, was that a good conversation or not a, not a good conversation it was a wonderful conversation, actually. I mean, I, I, I don't agree with him. I, I didn't agree with his conclusions. But I actually really appreciated that someone was looking out for me. I mean, it's just, it was quite impressive that someone was there and was willing to challenge and was willing to say to me, I'm going to hold you accountable and I don't think you did the right thing. And I'm going to tell you that I don't think I did the right thing. And you can tell me that you think you're okay, but I'm going to, I am part of your life you, you can't just live completely independently and expect no commentary from the community that you're part of. Ah, you see, see, this is the principle here. Peter, you are part of the church community and you've done something that really unsettles them and you cannot for one second think that they're not going to comment back and don't get all defensive because actually this is what it means to be part of a community. And, and, and I think that we're in 2019 and I think we've lost that altogether. They'd be kind of say, you, know, you do your thing, I do my thing, whatever, you know, as long as it keeps you happy. That, that's not community. That is not community. Community is actually, to some extent, being busybodies in each other's life, watching out for one another, holding each other accountable, asking, but, but you know what? They, 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 they say to Peter, so, so why did you do this? And Peter gives them the answer, and they say, oh. Okay, well, maybe God is doing something. And they change their mind. You see, the key thing is that as church together, they spoke together. They spoke together. And they kept on talking. And they kept on trying to discern what it is that God was saying to them. And, oh, that's what we need today as well. 
to be committed to one another, to talk to one another, to respect one another, to, to remember that at the end of the day, we, we all have liberty of conscience, and ultimately we, we, we answer back to God. But to take each other seriously, that is a very important thing. And for us to realize that to actually stay the course that God has called us on, that too can be a difficult thing. Time is gone. Let me quickly finish. So this passage is a passage that says to us, God's love is bigger than you imagined. God really cares for everyone. Came at a time when, when, when Jewish converts to Christianity knew that God loved them, thought that under special circumstances, God might love the odd Gentile here and there, but never believed that God's concern was really going to be for everyone. And they had to realize that God was bigger and live in the light of the God who was bigger. And, and maybe you sit here today and you feel a little like yawn. I've known for a long time that God loves everyone. I know for a long time that, 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 that God's care is not limited. Really? Really? So you know that? Do you know that so that it's changing everything that you're doing? Do you know that? So that you hear about people in the world who have never heard about Jesus? And you think about the missionary slogan that no one has the right to hear the gospel uh, twice until everyone's heard it once. Does that spur you on to mission? If, if you've heard it here, then, then yes. And does it spur you on your workplace to say, how can I speak for Jesus? How can I find a way to reach out to you? And can I do that? You see, unless you're doing that, you've only heard it here. And the passage says, hear it here. God can be trusted. God can be trusted God can be trusted. God's love is bigger. God's love is bigger. Hey, one more thing. You may be hearing that God's love is bigger and that God really cares for everyone, but there is a possibility that you might hear that and think that that's about everyone else, but not really you. Actually, this passage is also saying, whoever you are and whatever you have done and however you have lived, God also loves you, and you also can have a relationship with God. And everyone matters, and everyone does not exclude you. Everyone does not exclude you. You are part of the awesome, incredible love of God. And the cross of Jesus is for you as well, whatever your past is. And so today, I invite you to understand this passage and to live this passage and to live in the light that God loves you and God loves every single person on this planet and to open yourself to the awesome, incredible love of the God who can always be trusted. One, we pray together. Thank you, Lord, that your love is bigger. Thank you that the cross is bigger. Thank you that forgiveness is for everyone. And Lord, I, I want to pray for anyone here who maybe just feels, well, everyone except me. And, and if you've never said yes to the love of God, to the forgiveness of Jesus offered in the cross, why not just say yes today? Lord Jesus, thank you that your love is bigger. Thank you that forgiveness is for me. Help me to trust you. Thank you that I can be part of the family of God. Amen.